Oh, that was so beautiful, and then you have to listen to me. Gosh, what a thing. That was wonderful. Can we clap for the choir? That was just really, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Wow. Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Ben Mathis, and I've been one of your missionaries since, uh, since I had hair. It goes back that long ago. Today, we have an amazing passage of Scripture. Let me give you a little bit of background. Jesus has taken 70 of his disciples, and he sent them out to teach, to preach, and to heal. Now, we don't know how long they've been gone, but we know they came back together again, and they were so excited about what had happened that they had to share it with each other and share it with the Lord, and, and the Lord had to raise praises to the Father, and it gets real exciting. That's where we're picking up this morning. So first, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll go to selected verses from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 17. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we ask that you clear our hearts and minds of the cares of this day. Let us come to your word expecting to be fed. For Jesus' sake, amen. And now let's listen to the word of God. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. At that very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and did reveal them to babies. Yes, Father, it was thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. And turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that have seen the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them. And to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and, and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How does it read? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Smuggling, that's, that's such an ugly word. I prefer technology relocation. Back in August, I was tasked with the mission of, of relocating some technology <clears throat> into a country that is not Christian friendly at all. It's technology that I first told you about as one of the first groups to hear this a year ago. If you remember, I told you about some technology I could put in my camera bag, and if I sat in a clinic or a store or a coffee shop or a restaurant or shopping mall, and you were within 150 feet of me, if you tried to use your cell phone to get online, I could put a message on your cell phone. I told you that I went down to South America where there's 25,000 Hezbollah terrorists, and I went around putting the Sermon on the Mount on the cell phones of Hezbollah terrorists just to remind them that Jesus loves them. Well, back in August, I did it in a country that's been occupied in part by some folks from Russia who needed to be reminded that they are not alone and that God loves them, and I do too. So I put the Jesus film on the cell phones of Russians in this country. 
I went from there and I did the same thing with some university students in their language and it was fascinating to watch them because they really absorbed the Jesus film. The third part of the mission was to meet with leaders of the underground church and I was going to give them this technology so that I didn't have to try to relocate it back out of the country and risk going through that again. The meeting was set up by a third party. That's how you have to do it in this country. And on the day we were supposed to meet, I sat in the lobby of the hotel, and I'm waiting for these underground church leaders to show up, and nobody came. It's been a scary trip. This didn't help. I started watching my watch, and then you start thinking, okay, maybe I've been set up. Maybe this isn't going to go well at all. How can I get out of here? And then I realized I can't. This hotel sits all by itself in a great big parking lot. There is no way to walk out the door and just blend into the crowd. Your mind starts to wander, at least mine does. And I imagine the parking lot filling up with the little black sedans with all these guys in little black suits and skinny ties, hats and sunglasses, and they all wanted to have a little talk with me. And I was sitting there getting more and more nervous, honestly, and then I heard a voice behind me that went, Ben? And I turned around, and standing there were three pastors from the underground church that I hadn't seen in eight years. These are men and women who are regularly thrown into jail and beaten because they're believers for Jesus Christ, and they were standing right there. We threw our arms around each other, and we stood there in the lobby of this hotel weeping that we were all alive and we were together. We went to breakfast and I showed them how the technology worked. I put the Jesus film on all their cell phones and they were just stunned. I left it with them so they can share the gospel using high technology in a very difficult place. And then I said, well, tell me, tell me how you're doing. You look so good. I guess you're, you're not in jail. You're here. I'm so happy. Are, are you being persecuted? And these church leaders looked at me and said, Ben, you're not going to believe this, but we're really not persecuted anymore. As long as we're not too visible and as long as we don't get too big, the government just pretty much leaves us alone. And I said what I imagined you would have said. I went, oh, praise the Lord. I'm so glad. And they looked at me and said, no, it was better when we were persecuted. Now it feels like we don't really have a purpose Jesus sent the 70 out with a purpose to teach, to preach, to heal. We don't know how long they were gone, but we know when they came back together. Think of the scene. A lot of these folks had families. So instead of just 70 people, think of several hundred people. And they're all coming back together again like family. And it's like your church when everybody gets together and you're all talking back and forth and you're catching up. And Jesus is sitting there watching this and he gives thanks to the Father and then he looks at these folks and says, gosh, you have seen and heard things that prophets and kings have never seen and heard. And he was so excited. And you know, there are people all around this crowd who are watching. And you kind of wonder what's going through the minds of the folks who are on the edges. Is somebody over there looking and saying, ooh, 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 I wonder if... University of Jerusalem beat Bethlehem State. I wonder if that's what they're talking about. Ooh, ooh, what happened? But it's the lawyer, isn't it? It's the lawyer who's sitting back there watching this crowd, and he must have been thinking, you know, this is exciting. Whatever it is, this is pretty neat. I'd like to get in on this. So it's the lawyer who says, you know, what do I have to do to have life? And Jesus so wisely turns it back around on him and says, you tell me. How's it written? 
And that's when the lawyer says, well, love the Lord your God with all your, with all your heart, uh, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. You do that and you will live. We talked about this some in Sunday school this morning, but Roe, the organization I serve, is now 20 years old. And for 20 years in 25 different countries, I feel like that we were part of the disciples who were sent out to teach, to preach, and to heal. And now we've come back together after 20 years to say, okay, where have we been? Where are we now? And what does the Lord want us to do with the things that we have seen and the things that we've heard And what we've discovered is that there are certainly countless individuals, but that there are also entire communities that are just adrift in despair. They have no sense of hope for today, no vision for tomorrow. Nothing's going to change. They're just barely hanging on, and there's no life. And we see that now, and we realize that our call to ministry has to be on a broader scale so that it's, it's something that, that is sustainable. It'll keep going. It's something we can measure. It's something that transforms lives, not just spiritually and not just physically, but in both aspects. And it's based on this part of Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. So we have come up with, as we discussed in Sunday school, six anchors, if you would. And I really want to drive this home to you this morning because it's based on this passage of Scripture. Whenever you see something about a heart in Scripture, I don't know what goes through your mind. This is what should go through your mind, present tense, right now, today, this very moment. Because, you know, if your heart stops, you are no longer present tense. You're called past tense at that point. So when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart right now, for us, those are two of our anchors. To answer the problems of the right now, we have to have food and agriculture, clean water and sanitation, our first two anchors. And of these four points, what do you think is the most difficult? Agriculture, food, clean water, and sanitation. To cut to the chase, sanitation is the most difficult point. Getting somebody to use an outhouse. We're in church. We can talk about this. It is really hard to get people. It's as hard to get somebody in the jungle to use an outhouse as it would be to convince you to quit using your restroom and go out in the backyard. How do we do it in the jungle? Well, it's it's not called a celebration. That That doesn't work. It's called a function. And we build an outhouse, and then we have speeches, and we put flowers on everybody, and we have cookies or something. And then the mayor or the chief, very ceremoniously, it would be Randy in this case, (laughs) very ceremoniously walks into the outhouse, shuts the door, stays in there for the appropriate amount of time. And when he comes back out again, it's kind of like the groundhog seeing his shadow. We all clap and applaud and stuff like that. And from that point on, everybody is expected to use the outhouse. It gets rid of a third of the disease in a village. Clean water gets rid of another third of the disease in the village. That's life-changing for people. If we just love the Lord your God with all your heart. What was the second one? All your heart and all your soul. Say soul. Randy and Dan know this. They're part of our pastor training program. 
We now do pastor training in India, China, Belize, Dominican Republic, and this next year we'll open one in Congo. We'll continue doing all the evangelism that we do with the crusades that we lead. Our first 26 pastors in the Dominican Republic led over 600 people to Christ in their first year of training. Their second year, they doubled it to 1,200 people led to Christ. Their churches are growing 18.3% a year. Think about that. That has to be foundational to everything that we are doing. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. How do you feel today? I know somebody was sick. Who was so sick that they were? Abby is sick. Abby didn't feel good this morning. She was coughing and carrying on, right? Isn't it better when you feel better? When you feel good, do you feel good? Does that make sense? When you feel good, you really want to do things, right? We talked about this in Sunday school. For us, what that means is developing a clinic program out in the jungles that will deliver basic health and medical care to people who live in extremely remote situations. Because if we can get somebody feeling good physically, they feel stronger, and if they feel stronger, we can put them to work, and they can start developing an economy. These are two more of our anchors, medical and health care, and developing an economy and lifting people out of poverty. We now have sewing schools in Congo, Belize, and Honduras. Let's get these folks to make something we can market. Come help teach them how to sew. This week, we're putting rice mills in four villages on a remote river in eastern Nicaragua. That changes everybody's perspective. Now, instead of spending a week willowing their rice, they can do it in 20 minutes. That frees you up to plant another crop, grow more food, and have food to sell, and you're making more money. This gets transforming. Start thinking about this. Food and agriculture, clean water, sanitation, spiritual development, basic health care, economic development, oh my goodness. And the last one, they say, I want you to imagine a school bus. The top of the school bus is all solar panels. Inside, the chairs have been taken out of the school bus. Instead, there are 20 workstations. Each workstation is a little desk with an iPad that's charged by the solar panels that charge the lights and the fans inside the bus. The driver pulls the bus up to a remote village and spends maybe two months, and the 20 students that are in there are rotated in and out, and everybody that graduates gets two gifts. They get an iPad with all that curriculum on there, plus a life-changing library of other books, and they get a solar charger so they can keep using this iPad in the jungle, and you've just equipped somebody with an education. If we can't educate the world, the other five anchors will be meaningless. Oh, you can lead somebody to Jesus, but they'll still starve to death. What if we led them to Jesus and help them get healthy and help them get stronger, lift them out of poverty and educate their minds? Do you know what happens when you do that? You feel pretty good about yourself. And when you feel pretty good about yourself, you love the people around you as you love yourself. Say amen. Congratulations, you just heard Development 101. That was my speech. What's that mean for you? Well, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, Ben, I've been a teacher for 20 years and I'm about done. Why don't you put me to work out in the jungle for 20 more years? Let me go out here and serve. Maybe you know water or agriculture, something about food, sanitation. 
Maybe you know something about one of these anchors and can help. Let me know about this. Let me get you in touch with the folks and let's make this happen around the world. Think about that. That's the fun part. But maybe right now, you know, Christmas is, for some of us, Christmas is a mixed blessing, isn't it? It's loads of fun. And then you're left out of something. Or it's loads of fun, but, but she's not here anymore. He's gone. Some emptiness. Sometimes just seeing the hustle and bustle of Christmas makes some of us more lonely than we've ever been before. And when we get that kind of feeling inside, we start thinking, you know, Lord, sometimes I think I'm only here to try to decide what I'm going to have for breakfast in the morning, and that's about the extent of my life. What's my purpose? Oh, if you're one of the folks who's wrestling with that, you don't have to write these down. I think you'll probably be able to remember. They're just four words to remember. They're real simple. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. And if you will sit down with the Lord and say, all right, Father, look at my heart. Here it is. What am I holding back from you? Father, here's my soul. <laughs> no, I haven't given it all to you. <laughs> Father, there's no strength. I, I, eat, I eat garbage. I get no exercise. I, I sit and stare at the television all day. I, I, I do nothing but play video games. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I just, that, there's nothing going on with me there. And, and Lord, here's my mind. And no, I don't put your word into my mind. Here's what I can promise you. This isn't a sort of kind of, this is a promise. If you question what your purpose is in life, if you want to know what God wants you to do with this existence of yours, if you will sit down with him and let him examine your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and you wrestle with giving all that to Christ, you will learn what God wants you to do for your life. Things will change dramatically in your life, and you will love people more than you ever have before, and you'll have a fulfilling experience you could never, ever imagine your life will be transformed. And you sit and we listen to something like that, and we think, you know, that just sounds great. Joel Olstein says that all the time. It must be true. But I, I'm not going to do it. I know it's true, but I, I, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Man, I'm not going to do, you, you, do that. I mean, parts of my heart are black. I got thoughts. Oh, Ben, I have thoughts. I mean, if you really knew this, I mean, if you knew what I did last week, guess what? God already knows all that. God knows all that about you already. God loves you exactly the way you are for who you can become in Jesus Christ. I want to say that to you again. God loves you just the way you are right now for who you can become in Jesus Christ. And that is a transformed, challenging, loving, fulfilling life filled with purpose. I think of a little village we work in India now in Chennai, southeast India. She's blind. She has a tiny house in a tiny village and nobody pays attention to her. And we gave her one of our solar Bibles in Hindi and she started playing that in her house at night and her neighbors could hear it. And they came over and said, what is that? 
And she said, this is the word of God. And now every night, people from that village cram into her little house, and they listen to the word of God. They talk about it. They pray. And this woman's life has changed like it never was before. I think of an eye clinic we built in Bolivia. You may not even know we did this on the Rio Alto. The first patient is a woman who came in sobbing and crying because she'd lost her vision. She could no longer be a seamstress, lost her job, and lost her home and wanted to know if we could help. And our guys fit her with glasses. She came back two weeks later, and again, she's crying and screaming, and the guys are going, what in the world's the matter now? Because I'm so happy. I got the best job I've ever had. I have a brand new place to live, and I just came by to thank the Lord. My life has been changed. I was blind. Now I can see. Right down the road, I went to preach in Bessemer, Alabama, First Presbyterian Church. I got there, and Richard was the pastor. He met me at the door and said, Ben, something strange has happened. I said, well, what? He goes, a guy called the church. And he goes, is Mathis preaching at your church this Sunday? And he said, I told him, yes, you were. And the guy goes, good, I want to see him. And he hung up the phone. How would that make you feel? The whole time I'm preaching, you're kind of looking around going, who got a gun and who do I owe money to? And this is really unnerving. This has never happened to me before. After church, I'm standing at the back door playing shake and shove, trying to beat the Baptist. Everybody's gone. There's one fellow standing there. He walks up to me and goes, you remember me? And I said, well, you know, I meet a lot of people. And he goes, I met you three years ago. I said, you did? He goes, yep. I said, where did we meet? He goes, met at a social function here in Bessemer. I said, we did. He goes, yep. I said, and? He goes, well, I told you my life was miserable. I hated what I did, and I asked you, what would you do? I said, you did. He goes, yep. I said, what I say? (laughs) He said, you said you'd quit your job and go do something you like doing. I said, I did. He goes, yep. I said, what'd you do? He goes, next day I went into work and I quit. I said, oh, you did. He goes, yep. I said, how'd that work out for you? He goes, well, I decided I like computers. I like messing with them, I like fixing them, and I like setting them up, so I started a business doing that. And he said, for the first two years, my life has been miserable. I'm barely getting by, but the last year it took off because I'm making so much money. My family's so happy, and I'm so happy, and we're praising the Lord, and I just came by to say thank you, and God bless you. He shook my hand, he walked out the door, and he never even told me his name. <sighs> yep. This is what I know. I know that God knows us to the very core of who we are. He also knows who we can become in Jesus. That's the exciting part. And I can promise you that if you wrestle with God's purpose for your life, have the courage to sit down with the God who loves you so much That he let the baby we celebrate die on a cross for you. He loves you that much. If you give to him your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, your life will be transformed forever. That was a Presbyterian amen if ever I've heard one. God bless you. You stay strong. Merry Christmas, and God bless America. Let's pray together.
Father, isn't it silly that we can gather around the manger and ooh and ah about the baby Jesus and still think we can hide our dirty laundry from you? Forgive us, Father, for being afraid of the ultimate love, of the ultimate acceptance, of the ultimate grace. Forgive us, Father, for thinking we can live our lives on our own. Well, look where it's gotten us. Father, today may your word nudge us to step a little closer to you. Give us the courage to release our hearts, our souls, our strengths, and our minds to you. Transform us, Lord, that we would transform others. For we ask this prayer in the name of the baby we celebrate today, even Jesus our Lord. Amen. God bless.